All right, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to our post-draft edition of the Buffalo Beat podcast. Thank you for joining us. My name is Joe Biscaglia, and with me is my co-host, Matthew Fairburn. And uh, the Buffalo Bills actually have some things to talk about. I mean, they, they went out and drafted seven players, didn't trade a single pick, which is very unbean-like. And it wasn't for a lack of effort. It really seemed like he had a few deals on the table throughout the process that we'll we'll get to. But all in all, it uh, the NFL draft was a fun kind of escape from everything, and I thought it was it was pretty cool seeing the the everybody work out of their homes and and things like that. But you know the the Bills added some pieces to their roster that. You know, we've been kind of talking about throughout throughout the weeks and and months leading up to this event, and uh, did a did a pretty nice job of it from a value perspective. So, I'll just start off here. What what do you think, Matthew, stood out the most to you in terms of the draft class? And um, I guess maybe even just I'll I'll just open, leave it open ended. Like what what stood out most to you about what they addressed? I think they did a good job on the second day of the draft getting guys that are going to come in and make an impact immediately even though we talked about before the draft about how there wasn't a lot of room on this roster to to you know get guys who were going to do that because they didn't have a lot of glaring needs the starting lineup is coming back mostly intact But I think A.J. Epinesa gives the Bills an opportunity to potentially move on from Trent Murphy. Uh, Probably better chance than not that they do. But in this offseason, you just don't know if they're going to move on from a a proven veteran, um, if they're going to feel comfortable doing that. But it gives them the opportunity to do it if if they choose. And I think he's a guy that, that adds to an already deep defensive line. We talked about the need for a running back. They go out and get Zach Moss, uh, a guy who, while he's a compliment to Devin Singletary and that he's probably a more direct, powerful runner, he's also not somebody who I think will tip the hand of what they're doing as opposed to when they had Frank Gore on the field. And it was pretty obvious what was going to happen when Frank Gore was on the field as opposed to Devin Singletary. So... I think it it keep, it made their offense better, and then you know they went and got some receivers who can can push Robert Foster and Duke Williams potentially off this roster. So mm-hmm. they looked at what they they had as a team. They looked at what this off season is going to be, and I think they placed a bit of a premium on this idea of guys that have a chance to make the roster. Now, maybe that's presuming or, you know, setting the bar pretty high in terms of what they have. You know, maybe it's a, you know, when you're looking at taking a kicker and taking a quarterback on day three, um, you know, some people would say they're passing up a chance to get good talent at linebacker or, you know, better talent maybe at receiver or cornerback or offensive line. But Brandon Bean thought that it was prudent to go and get guys that had the best chance of making the roster. So it's interesting that he thought a kicker had a good chance to make the roster. Right. Tells you what he thinks. And 
we'll get into it, I'm sure, but I I like the Jake Fromm pick more than I more than I thought I would. Mm. And I, I think I think that's gonna be you know, in our, our beat writer roundup at the athletic, I, I tabbed that one my sleeper pick. I, I don't I'm I'm interested to see how that one plays out. Sure. Yeah, we'll we'll get into that in just a bit, but we'll, uh, I'll I'll go back to the the Epinesa pick, which you you brought up a little bit there. Uh, I think with him, that was that was a player that in our the very first mock draft you and I did. I think it was back in February. It might even it was either before or after the combine. I can't remember which one, but we put Epinesa in in the first round consideration for them, and this is a guy that was. Probably a a borderline first pick, but everyone just kept passing on him, passing on him because of the simple fact that he doesn't win with speed, and that is what is at a premium at the position. So for the Bills, who you know they they don't necessarily believe that edge rushers have to win with speed. It's the reason they went out and signed Mario Addison, and he's not a speed guy by any means. You know they they signed Trent Murphy a couple of off seasons ago who is not a speed guy either he's more of a physicality bull rush length guy and and that's that's basically what Epinesa is although I would argue Epinesa has a lot more power than Trent Murphy does or at least he he plays with it but uh but yeah I, I thought that was good value it addressed a position that they needed to have a future with because they, they really didn't have one to speak of uh you know, when you look at Jerry Hughes, who's 32, Mario Addison, who's 33, Trent Murphy, who's going to be 30 and in the final year of his deal, Quentin Jefferson, who is signed down to be a rotational guy, and then, you know, Daryl Johnson, who's the the seventh round pick from last year, that it they needed some sort of swing at edge rusher. And if, let's say, Duggar was still on the board or let's say Epinesa was gone and Duggar was on the board it, I think it's a position they probably would have uh they probably would have avoided had they not gotten it at at 54 or at latest 86 just because of what you were talking about the the idea the chance to make the team because at that point is a fourth or fifth round pick better than Trent Murphy probably not um so they did a good job there I do wonder though you know we you brought up Trent Murphy and more and thinking that it probably means he's he's gone and or at least a, a chance that he's gone and I would tend to agree with that. I think it's less about Epinesa versus Trent Murphy and more about Trent Murphy versus Daryl Johnson's development because I think they they'd feel content with keeping nine defensive linemen on the roster, especially with how much they like to rotate those guys. But I don't know that I I don't know that. Um, they'll just sacrifice Trent Murphy for the for the sake of it. I think they would need to see something defensively out of Daryl Johnson in training camp or the preseason to warrant being that ninth guy ahead of Murphy because those first eight slots, they are set in stone. You've got the four defensive tackles. You've got the four defensive ends now with Epinesa. And basically, it's Murphy versus Daryl Johnson for, for number nine. So, I mean, it it would make sense for them to move on from Murphy or try to trade him because then they ha- they get that cap space in a rollover form to help out with some extensions next year. But still, they're not going to cut or trade him until they get closer to the regular season, I would think, just in the event of injuries and all of that with, with how deep their defensive line group is. Well, I think what's interesting about this 
this Epinesa pick and really how their defensive line is constructed in general is that, you know, Epinesa essentially is a left defensive end. So mm-hmm. it feels like they're unbalanced at defensive end because Trent Murphy is also a left defensive end. And you, you would presume that Mario Addison would be as well so that he can start um, along with Jerry Hughes. And so they have three guys that profile as that position and still only Jerry Hughes at the one spot. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I mean, you know, you don't pass on Epinesa just because he plays one side over the other or profiles as one thing and not the other. But I do think it's worth pointing out that this does not mean, you know, because a lot of people are pointing out A.J. Epinesa does not have this top, top end athleticism. He ran a 5 zero four 40 yard dash and um he's not the speed rusher he's not the the freak athlete necessarily but that doesn't rule them out from addressing that in a future draft or a a future free agency period Mm -hmm. they still have jerry hughes on one side this just gives them that power defensive end um, on on the other side and brandon bean mentioned his ability to kick into three technique so yeah it's it's going to take them feeling pretty good about Daryl Johnson to move on from Trent Murphy when, you know, I think Trent Murphy maybe because I don't think he has a tremendous amount of trade value, but he might in an offseason like this one where a team is right. looking for a proven veteran uh, in a shortened offseason over a young developmental player at a position where it's hard to develop players uh, and rely on them. But what strikes me is that they're probably going to have to their defensive line is just going to look different uh, the way they play and the way they shuffle it around. They're going to have a lot of combinations. It's a super deep group, but it's not as traditional cut and dry. Mm -hmm. This guy plays this position X number of snaps and only plays that position, which is mostly what it's been over the last few years because they've had Lorenzo Alexander, who's been able to fill in gaps in certain sub packages Shaq Lawson did it too, but now you have a bunch of defensive linemen that can kind of play all over. You know, Epinesa can play three tech if you need him to. Quentin Jefferson can basically go wherever. Vernon Butler can move to either defensive tackle spot. So I think there's going to be a little bit more creativity in terms of how it's it's all deployed. And Epinesa just adds to that. Absolutely. They focused on versatility within their defensive linemen all this offseason. And Addison, you brought him up. He's probably base package left defensive end. uh, But he also played quite a bit at right defensive end. So, you know, maybe that that offset thing that you were talking about, maybe it's Addison flipping over there and, and them going with Epinesa and Addison sometimes. Quentin Jefferson actually lined up quite a bit at right defensive end, which uh, could lead to him giving them a little bit more of a power look uh, at at that spot behind Jerry Hughes. But then Addison can can slide down inside as a as a three tech and or as a five tech defensive end if they wanted to go for three four looks. Epinesa can do it. Um, you know, Harrison Phillips can play both defensive tackle positions Vernon Butler can play both defensive tackle positions you brought up Jefferson he can uh, he can slide down into a defensive tackle spot this is going to be a lot more fun of a defensive line to track because it it, it just 
they, they just have so many more possibilities to them. And, you know, I think uh, it was either two or three weeks ahead of the draft. I, I really dug in to try and figure out what this what third downs would look like for them and and maybe if they're going to go to more odd man fronts because now they actually have the personnel or the the personnel to do so um and you know going back and looking and they've only run th- a base three man sets on uh, on third downs i think it was like I don't know, 1.8% of total snaps throughout the last three years. But I would expect that number to go up slightly because now they have a couple of guys who are on, who, who can play nose tackle and Harrison Phillips and Ed Oliver. Um, they've got guys who can play five tech, uh, which are Vernon Butler and Mario Addison and Quentin Jefferson and all of these other things. They've got linebackers who can drop back into coverage more capably than, than Lorenzo Alexander did last year. I just think the possibilities are endless for the type of fronts that they could, they can use against opposing teams. And I think that is how Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier are trying to create pressure which was a problem at times last year not being able to get the proper heat on quarterbacks I think the versatility and all of the differing skill sets and all the differing looks that they can have could help them really evolve into just this completely unpredictable unit about who's coming on one from one play to the next and certainly Epinesa adds into that fact and I just think they've done a really nice job with uh with that defensive line group and and even the linebackers too uh this offseason yeah they're still lacking that you know young um high upside type of you know athletic pass rusher that that guy in the Jadavian clowny mold or, or what have you but those guys aren't easy to get and so they're trying to extend you know the the shelf life of Jerry Hughes as, as long as they can and, and get that out of him because that's what he is. He's your speed rusher, your guy that, that is creates problems off of the edge, um, you know, with his uh, athleticism and the way that, um, he can beat those, you know, left tackles, but now they have different ways to get after the quarterback in the meantime, right. While they're looking for that next guy who can, who can be that. I know that's usually, what you know everybody's eyes gravitate towards when you're looking at edge rushers in the offseason whether it's in free agency or the draft is those guys that that profile as those um you know super athletic uh, guys that can get off the edge and, and really you know are really explosive i don't think epinesa is necessarily that but that doesn't mean he can't get to the quarterback uh and there's uh, i think he fits the mold of a lot of the guys that they drafted in Carolina. And that's not to say, you know, he'll be 100% uh, bust proof, but I Mm -hmm. think he's a safer pick than uh, a lot of guys that you usually get at 54 in terms of how high his floor is. Maybe, you know, his, his ceiling isn't as high, but I think he's a pretty safe pick at 54 and it's hard to argue with the value i mean clearly you know maybe the league didn't think as high of him as most people thought but i still think uh, it was a pretty good get at 54 yeah absolutely and honestly i don't know that i buy this whole oh his his ceiling's not terribly high because 
the way he wins, there is a lot of value with that, especially with how they've structured the rest of their defensive line. I mean, when one of the things that Epinesa does the best is that he just has so much power that he's able to walk the offensive tackle back into the pocket, which pins the quarterback in there, and it creates mayhem for uh, for the quarterback if they're not especially mobile to get out from that and to try and operate within that. Maybe gets a little nervous and tucks and and just kind of goes into the fetal position. But the other part of this is I think the the combination of the strength of Epinesa coming off the left defensive end role and potentially walking a right tackle back into them, uh, into the quarterback, and then with the explosiveness of Ed Oliver on the inside, I think that's a really good one-two punch when you have, because a lot of times you need these defensive linemen working together. And that cohesiveness, you know, sometimes you can do it with speed rushers off the edge and, and that's all well and good, but it's just kind of a spatial thing where Epinesa is kind of crumpling the tackle in there. It it creates less room for the quarterback to wiggle. And if Oliver beats his matchup one-on-one if they're they're silly enough to give him a one-on-one matchup then he doesn't have a long way to go to bring down the quarterback and I, I really I really like that that combination plus the fact I think Epinesa doesn't get enough credit for how he looks or how he um how he really attacks the offensive lineman based on what the lineman is showing him I think he's a very savvy rusher. Uh, he usually has a plan, uh, and it's not like flying off the seat of his pants. Um, he's he's really good with using his hands to keep the, keep the offensive tackle off of him, and and that's something I think that will help him at the NFL level. And you know, the, the speed was never his game, and uh, I don't know why it would have affected his his draft stock so considerably by you know by his forty time just really taking teams and, and throwing him away because of it that's if if you're judging him based off that then you're doing yourself a disservice because that's not how he wins to begin with so I, I don't know I, I I think he it's a it's a solid floor by all means uh, with, with him because I think you're going to get a good player that um, can potentially start as early as 2021 especially in this defense but I also don't think it should be limited to just think. Okay, he's a high floor guy, and and that's probably what you're going to get. I think he could. I think he could do some some damage in the NFL. I really liked him, and I, I graded him only, uh, only uh, I actually right on par with Clavon Chase on, and and you know above all the other defensive ends that were available this year. Yeah, it's different. They're completely different, right? Jason right. and and Epinesa. You know, you're just talking about different upside. You're talking about the ability to grow into, you know, in a best case scenario for Epinesa, he's a Trey Flowers type, right? A guy that that is going to, you know, beat offensive lines that way. He's not going to grow into Jadavian Clowney or Yannick Ngakwe, but that's fine you know there's other ways to to get after the quarterback and there's different skill sets that can can fit in on a defensive line Uh, so that can be a tricky term um, upside or potential or whatever because he can I'm not saying he's going to grow into J.J. Watt Mm -hmm. but I think Trey Flowers is is a decent um, you know bar to shoot for Um, he's a really good player uh, and and did a lot of really good things for the Patriots I didn't really watch him 
much with the Lions this year, but he got a huge contract. So uh, he did enough to, to be considered that, that level of player. I think it's just a different, a different, you know, potential that he has because he's a different kind of player than a Yannick Ngakwe, but um, you need both on a defensive line and, and there's different ways to, to do it. And I think the bills might, have some tricks up there, sleeve in terms of getting more creative in and how they deploy some of these defensive linemen. Because Absolutely. I don't want to. I don't want to say what they've they've been doing hasn't worked, but the pass rush has been the only thing about this defense that's kind of held them back uh, in their three years. It's not a you know obviously it hasn't been a huge problem because the defense has been one of the best in the league, but it's been the the one missing ingredient that runs a little bit hot and cold and uh, I think they've typically been on the cutting edge and I'm interested to see what they do because I'm guessing uh, it'll be something a little bit creative uh, on the front and they've got enough pieces to do it. Last thing I'll say on on Epinesa is the arm length for him matters uh, because that's some that's a measurable that they really look for in in their defensive ends, and it's something that helps defensive ends keep the offensive tackles off of them. And Epinesa's arm length came in only, I think, behind four or five others in Dane Brugler's top forty-two. Yatur Grossmatos, uh, Epinesa's is thirty-four and a half inches long. Um, Yatur Grossmatos was thirty-four and seven eighths. Uh, same thing with Jonathan Grinnard out of Florida. And then past those guys, the only players that had longer arms than Epinesa um, were two guys who weren't drafted in Azur Kamara out of Kansas and Jalen Bates out of Colorado State. I mean, that's a very important measurable, especially for a guy who doesn't win with speed and keeping that offensive tackle at bay or the offensive guard, even if when they're lining them up on the inside. I mean, that that is a, a very, it's a genetic advantage that will help him go a long way, I think. And, and that, that uh, has to be part of the, 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 uh, the overall look at him that made him endearing to them. And, and I, I absolutely agree with you. I think this is setting up to be a much more dynamic front than what we've grown accustomed to. And, you know, just from seeing things go a certain way over the last three years and watching the defensive line and watching them try to go through it. And they even had to limit their rotations down to three defensive ends, basically, at all times last year because Daryl Johnson just wasn't playable after I think it was the Cincinnati game early on. They they uh, they didn't want to go through that again. And so they set themselves up with versatility, manufacturing a pass rush, even if it's not just a, a one-on-one beat. It's going to be a focus on team pass rushing more than anything. Lots of stunts, lots of twists, um, a focal point on Ed Oliver winning in the middle, and certainly Jerry Hughes on the edge. But more than anything, just guys really forcing the issue and shortening the pocket area to where um, eventually somebody either affects the pass or brings down the quarterback entirely. So it, it it's it's certainly going to be pretty fun, I think. All right, let's uh, I think uh, oh, I think one one more thing on on Epinesa is that you're going to hear and and we've talked about it a little bit the the word athleticism and the idea that that's what made him drop and 
it's probably because there's just not a better explosive might be yeah. a better way to put it. But I think the thing we forget sometimes on draft weekend when you're talking about the 250 or so best athletes of their age group um, in the world, essentially, is this guy. Athleticism can mean different things. Mm-hmm. And this guy, like I said, isn't, you know, Chase Young. But his ability to adapt and, you know, figure out skills and, you know, really rush the passer is, I think it's an athletic skill. And this guy was a three-sport athlete in high school. He was a huge recruit. He was a really good basketball player, probably could have played college basketball. So it's not as if this guy is... um, not an athlete. Mm-hmm. I think he he's got more athleticism probably than than people give him credit for, and that can be a weird word, anyways. So yeah, it's very uh, vague. No, he's he, yeah, no, he's not Chase Young, right? But he he is a guy with some really good movement skills. He's a really good technician, and I think those are those are athletic traits in their own right. Yeah, I I would tend to agree there. All right, let's get into uh, the. Other members of the draft class, but uh, first, before we do that, let's uh, hear from our sponsors. First of all, the Black Tux. The Black Tux believes every groom deserves a better experience when it comes to finding formal wear, a suit or tuxedo for their big day. Did you know the Black Tux was actually started by two guys who had one of the worst tuxedo fittings you could imagine? It turns out they aren't alone in this frustration. Just listen to these one-star reviews from competitor tuck shops that shall not be named. Go elsewhere. This place is pretty terrible unless you're dressing like your grandpa for Halloween. We felt weird buying a suit from somebody so unhappy. We were afraid his bad vibes might follow us to our wedding day, so we left. What you'll love about the Black Tux is that they have an easy online ordering process that brings your suit or tuxedo straight to you. Just pick a style at theblacktux.com and request a free home try-on so you can feel the fit and quality before you commit. And if online isn't your style, the Black Tux has showrooms all over the country where you can find your fit and plan your look. From there, they'll ship your order two weeks before your wedding so you can check it one last time. That is commitment. Whether you're buying your outfit or looking to rent, you won't find a formal wear experience or designs like the ones you'll find at the Black Tux. If you want your wedding to be remembered for the right reasons, order your suit or tuxedo at theblacktux.com and enjoy 10% off with code BILLS. That's theblacktux.com code BILLS for 10% off your purchase. The Black Tux, formal wear for the moment. Now a message from Hydrant. Top performers in business and sports often attribute their success to their morning routine, whether it's waking up early, setting their goals for the day, exercise, or meditation, but not everyone has the time to do it all. With Hydrant, you can jumpstart your mornings. Hydrant creates flavored electrolyte packets you mix directly into your water to make hydrating your body easy and delicious. Each rapid hydration mix has the four essential electrolytes your body needs. Sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc help you hydrate quickly and stay hydrated all day. And Hydrant is backed by research. The formula was developed by Oxford scientists to provide perfectly balanced, efficient hydration. There's no synthetic colors or artificial sweeteners. The formula is vegan, and you can choose between three different flavors or a variety pack. And Hydrant starts at just a buck a packet for a 30-day supply. You can save even more with a monthly subscription. And for 25% off your first order, go to drinkhydrant.com and enter promo code BILLS at checkout. That's drinkhydrant.com and enter promo code BILLS for 25% off your first order. Drinkhydrant.com and enter promo code BILLS. 
All right, to the other members of the 2020 Buffalo Bills draft class, and uh, we'll 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 save we'll save your takes on Jake Fromm. Let's get into Zach Moss because that's that's a player that I think a lot of fans are excited about uh, because for for obvious reasons, running back was one of those positions where people were big into the idea. I, I think part of it is because. Uh, it's it's a flashier position. Certainly for 2020, they if you're listing out needs, you know, finding a complementary option that provides that downhill style to Devin Singletary, that was probably chief among them. But uh, I think when you factored in some future needs and you know roster building from that perspective, that's why maybe running back kind of fell down the list a little bit. But still, adding a guy like Zach Moss, you get you get just that. You find someone that uh, that has the ability to have the you can have for. Uh, on the field for three downs should anything happen to Singletary or if you're establishing a game plan which Brian Dable likes to do from time to time that's more downhill between the tackles run heavy than say you know a an edge attacking pass catching type of back that that Devin Singletary is more of then that gives you that flexibility as well though I will say I think getting Moss at 86 was really good value and not using a precious resource on a running back at 54. I was just, you know me, all of you know me by now. I was never on board with the idea of of, of running back at 54. I, I think they it would have been, you know, a little bit of a short-sighted approach. But third, third round, that's good value. That's where the value for running backs start to really come in. And, you know, I, I especially when you have a a potential feature back on your roster already. I can't hate the pick whatsoever. I, I think I think the Zach Moss pick was was especially good considering he might have dropped down only because of medical stuff and and taking that calculated risk really might help out with them uh through the through the entirety of his contract. Yeah, the medical seems like a little bit of a concern, but Brandon Bean said that he, you know, cleared everything and they weren't worried about it whatsoever. I think part of it is probably the position he plays yeah i don't think you're counting on a 10-year career from a running back anyways you might only be looking at the four-year rookie contract and then you know finding uh, a replacement that's just the nature of the position there's certainly a you know especially given all the running backs that were already off the board at 54 it would have just been foolish to dip into the pool at that point and to wait around uh Drafting a running back in the third round went pretty good last year. I think the the bottom line with this pick is it makes the offense better, mm-hmm. and the offense needs to be better. Uh, and other than Stephon Diggs, which is a big addition, uh, don't get me wrong, obviously the the highlight addition of their offseason, but other than Stephon Diggs, they hadn't done a whole lot to change the offense that clearly wasn't good enough last year. And I think you know, getting Devin Singletary more involved and having a number one receiver like Diggs uh, helps, but you want to add even more pieces. You want to, you want to make it uh, a better group uh, depth wise. And the running game needed, I think pretty badly a a second option because Devin Singletary, um, you know, he got hurt last year uh, early in his rookie season. He had a lot of carries in college you just need to have uh, an option if he goes down. And and I think they're big too on, and this is probably why they aren't as concerned about 
Zach Moss's injury history, and he had a lot of carries in college as well, is because they want to have two running backs to take you know the wear and tear off of both of them and extend uh, their shelf life in terms of lasting an entire season. And I think they needed that. I think this guy's a, a huge upgrade mm-hmm. on on TJ Yeldon. I think he's a bit, frankly, I think he's a big upgrade on thirty six year old Frank Gore too. Uh, and it sounds like you know Brandon Bean wasn't really shy about laying out the the roles for these guys. It sounds like Zach Moss will mostly be a first and second down guy. Um, that's not to say he's going to carry. He's going to be their guy on first and second down. It's right when he get when he gets the ball, it'll be on those early downs and it'll be in short yardage. And Singletary will be more that that third down guy. But I do think Zach Moss has some chops in the passing game. He's not. Christian McCaffrey where you line him up as a receiver but he's uh able to catch the football he's able to make guys miss with the ball in his hand so um he's he's an elusive guy but he's also a a guy that's gonna you know hit you in the mouth too so I liked the pick the only thing you can poke holes in is the medical and Mm -hmm. right I think you know you're you're taking a, a little bit of a risk there but you know think about Jay Ajayi, right? He was a guy that had serious medical concerns that caused him to drop, more serious than anything Zach Moss is dealing with. And you probably feel pretty good uh, if you drafted him, got what you got out of him, and, you know, it it's the brutal nature of the league, but you get what you get out of him, and then you move on mm-hmm. uh, and, and find somebody else. And so I'm not saying that's going to be Zach Moss's fate, that it'll be four years and done, but if it is... Um, that doesn't mean it was a bad pick. And I think he's going to fit into this backfield nicely and, and they needed to get better on offense. And this pick does it. Yeah, certainly. I, and it might come across as a weird thing to say, but I, I think the the medical part of it and, you know, the, the fact that he was going through that and they ended up getting him at 86. I think that makes me like him more here because it makes me feel like they got a better value than, what they draft where they drafted and especially if they cleared all his previous issues uh, at Utah then you know that that just has the sign of okay well now you have him being a not a featured back but a complimentary player same thing with Devin Singletary you know you have these two guys really playing off one one another and much in the way you said about Zach Moss, I feel similarly about Devin Singletary that he has a lot of first and second down value that I think is a little bit undervalued by by some. I think he's he's a really good player. So it just really depends on what look they're going for. And um, so to me, the the Moss pick, I'm excited to watch more of him uh, as we get into kind of the the doldrums of May without going and being able to cover a football practice. But um, it, being able to watch exactly what he's all about and maybe some of the intricacies of his game. I'm re- I'm really looking forward to that to see how they might game plan some things with him. All right, let's 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 set the table for the Jake Fromm discussion because I think he was a a player that at at one point in the draft where you're like I think in the fourth round you're you're just thinking to yourself, eh, it's still a little early um and you know, it's probably a he's probably a third, fourth round value, but for the Bills and what they're trying to do, I think drafting Gabriel Davis, which was a much better value. But when they get down to to one sixty seven, and Jake Fromm is just 
sitting there, it gets to a point of why not? I mean, there is a path for him to make the roster. He doesn't have to beat out Matt Barkley to make the roster by any means. But, I mean, he could in, in the preseason. But he doesn't have to. He can. They can keep three quarterbacks if they feel confidently enough about him. And a fifth-round pick is not a, a an absolute deal-breaker to where you have to make sure you find a way to get that guy on your 53-man roster. I mean, there are plenty of examples every year of fifth-round picks getting cut by their teams in, in the rookie season. But it gives them the flexibility to find a potential long-term backup in Jake Fromm, at least in their minds, ideally a long-term backup, and trying to figure it out from there. I think he uh, he's he's a lot more of a, a, a safe option than, than Josh Allen at times because Josh Allen likes to take some chances, but you know you also sacrifice some other things as well. And I, I, I thought that that pick was, was very compelling, and I, I'm sure the way you, you set it up, you feel the same. Yeah, there's some layers to this one for me. Uh, I'll start by pointing out a comment Brandon Bean made about the pick and, you know, trying to fill in the gaps a little bit with his with his logic, because he said he was too good to pass up and he was standing out like in a big way on the board. And we've heard him talk a lot about, you know, there might be a guy with a later in the draft, you know, you're drafting for need. There might be a guy that has a fourth round grade but you've got a fifth-round grade on a position of need, and the guy's got a better chance to make your roster. Mm -hmm. The fact that he said he was standing out on the board makes me think that that grade was a three and not a four. Mm. Um, Makes me think it was probably a day two grade. Could be wrong. Like I said, kind of filling in some gaps there, but at the very least, it leads me to believe it was fourth or better, maybe even third. That means they think this guy can play. And there's a lot of people who think that that this guy can play. I don't think anybody had him as a day one quarterback, but um, he was, you know, by most things that you look at, a top five quarterback in this class. Top seven at the worst, somewhere in that five to seven range. Now, I'm not a scout, and I don't play one on television, but I... I'm a college football fan and this guy's story uh, and, and following his career is really, really interesting. He, he was not a slouch as a recruit by any means. He was a pretty big time recruit was originally committed to Alabama before switching to Georgia because Kirby smart went to Georgia. Um, It's not as if he went to Georgia and nobody knew who he was. You know, he was a hometown guy uh, in Georgia, but he was not supposed to start as a true freshman. Uh, that was not really in the cards. Uh, Jacob Eason was, was pretty good player and pretty entrenched. He came in and he wrestled that, that locker room away from, from Jacob Eason and, and won over that locker room and came within a play of becoming the first freshman in 30 years to, to win a national championship. And then he goes on, he starts for three years Justin Fields was supposed to beat him out, you know, this big-time recruit that everybody was really excited about, and he held him off. He forced that guy to transfer. A lot of people will say that Georgia made the wrong call in one or both of those instances. Jacob Eason was drafted higher than Jake Fromm. He's got a bigger arm. Justin Fields will almost, you know, certainly be drafted higher than the fifth round, but 
I think this guy has a certain quality about him that, you know, people are probably familiar with, with Josh Allen. Guys want to follow this guy. And what he did in the SEC is, is hard to overlook. He does have some certain limitations when it comes to arm strength. And, you know, he didn't always make the best decisions with the football, but he didn't turn the ball over a lot. Um, he had more turnover worthy plays than he probably had turnovers, but I think this guy makes the team for sure. Uh, and I think, you know, he's, he's not a guy to ignore entirely. And I don't say any of this to incite a quarterback controversy. Mm -hmm. He's not going to start. He's not going to, um, take Josh Allen's job, not in an off season like this one, not with how strongly the bills feel about Josh Allen, uh, not with how much they have invested in Josh Allen. However, when you talk about, you know, the, the buzzword yesterday was competition. That's what Brandon Bean kept bringing up is creating competition throughout the roster. And we've had this conversation before of, it seems like competition applies everywhere except under center because you don't want to rattle your young quarterback. Um, even look at the, the Saints are signing Jameis Winston. And the reason they feel comfortable signing Jameis Winston presumably is because he's not a threat to Drew Brees, right? Because Drew, who could be a threat to Drew Brees? But look at what the Packers did, drafting a quarterback in the first round when they have Aaron Rodgers on their roster. Why should, and and you could argue that that was a bad pick. The Eagles taking Jalen Hurts, maybe you could argue that was a bad pick. And we had some people um, tweet at us after our conversation about veteran quarterbacks, Cam Newton, Jameis Winston, and why they wouldn't do it. And I should probably clarify, I it was why they wouldn't do it, not why they shouldn't do right, it. Right, exactly. Disagree. I didn't disagree with anybody who thought they should have a better backup plan. And it's a backup plan in the sense of what if this guy doesn't develop the way we think? What if this guy doesn't you know, take that step forward and you don't have somebody to pivot to? It's the Tennessee Titans lesson. The lesson isn't that, oh, you can find a Ryan Tannehill and now you have your franchise quarterback. I think the Titans might have jumped the gun on paying him. But the lesson is have something to turn to if if your guy isn't what you think he is. Is Jake from that? No, I, probably not because he's, he's brought in for competition for Matt Barkley and Davis Webb. That was made very clear. I guess my point is once upon a time, that's what he was supposed to do at Georgia early on, and he didn't. And Georgia is not Appalachian State or Wyoming. It's Georgia. Uh, they get their pick of the litter a lot of times in terms of recruiting. So this guy is, uh, you know, you, you hear the, the, all the intangibles thrown around. He didn't get the pre-draft process to win some team over. And I think that hurt him. He didn't have a good combine. He, he didn't look good throwing the ball. And he was sandwiched between Justin Herbert and Jacob Eason, who both have huge arms. And so it stood out even more. But he's really smart and is going to be able to pick up this playbook. He's going to come in, and he's not going to back down from the competition. He's going to be really popular in the locker room. Mm -hmm. 
it's a I think it's a good move to take the shot. If it was let's just let's just lowball it and say it was a fourth round grade. That's still a pretty good asset. Um, you know, the hit rate on day three quarterbacks is pretty low. Mm-hmm. And that you know, you can't really ignore that in terms of generate you know, turning that into a starter. Um but anybody who's you know, calling this guy Nathan Peterman 2.0, I think is is missing what he is and and what he brings to the table, and also ignoring the fact that he's walking into a situation where Nathan Peterman couldn't have been developed any worse than he was, and he's not a good player either. And it's probably Sean McDermott's biggest misstep is having as much faith in Nathan Peterman as he did, but. He was also not developed properly. He was thrown in at way too early and and given way too much. But calling you know Jake from Nathan Peterman, I, I think is is definitely underselling what Jake Fromm did in college and who he could potentially be in the pros. His scouting report reads a lot like Matt Barkley, right? That's not that's not a bad pick if he becomes Matt Barkley and. I don't know who's to say he can't become a little bit more than that. Yeah, I mean, I, one thing on on the Peterman comments because you know I I got a few of those sent to me as well, and it's just a complete disservice to a guy who has not even taken an NFL snap in practice, and quite frankly, it's unfair. And I think fans should be better than that. To be perfectly frank, um, he it, he he needs. He needs a chance to be able to show what he is in an NFL realm. And if teams were actually thinking about taking him in the third or fourth round, which is probably the case, but you know they kept looking look, looking elsewhere. Sometimes that happens in the draft. You know, guys just like, ah, oh, well, you know, we could use this, we could use this position, but quarterback is also one of those spots where there aren't a lot of roster spots in the NFL as compared to some other positions out there. And and because sometimes teams only carry two. Um, and if if you're not feeling like that quarterback is is going to help make the team in that season, you're probably not going to use the pick on him. And also, it's also one of those spots where if you have a young quarterback or an older quarterback that uh, you don't want to stir up controversy by taking a quarterback too high, which I think third and maybe fourth is still in that realm because you look back to some fourth round picks that have made it like Kirk Cousins, the year that they drafted that Washington drafted both RG three and, and Kirk Cousins. I mean, it was always kind of like a, you know, after, especially after that one year that RG three really looked good and then got hurt. And then from there, it was just always a look over your shoulder sort of thing. And I think teams really strive to avoid that sort of thing. So I think that's probably why he, he fell, but, more than anything, just give him a chance to see what he can develop into. And I, I like right. Nathan Peterman was let's point out that Nathan Peterman was historically bad, mm-hmm. like one of yes. the worst quarterbacks to ever step on the field in terms of the results he produced. So comparing a guy that was a three year starter in the SEC and has as an accomplished assuming that he's also going to be historically bad is <laughs> Um, it it doesn't make a lot of sense. No, I, I agree. mean, 
there's not been if you want to say oh he's Aaron Murray 2.0 um, which would be sort of lazy because they went to the same school and 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 all that that'd be fine or oh this guy's just Chase Daniel or he's Matt Barkley 2.0 sure to assume he's going to be historically bad yeah. is yeah. um is is kind of foolish and uh, I think you know not to say that you know perhaps there might be some similarities or or, or this and that but we saw the way that and and look I, we don't need to pile on Nathan Peterman good guy and all that but the way and we've got to see Jake Fromm in the locker room but by all accounts he's a guy that that really rallies people around him I didn't get that feeling with Nathan Peterman a lot of the time so um I think it's a little little early to, to call him Nathan Peterman 2.0. If you want to argue the value of taking a quarterback when maybe they had other needs, this and that, but look at the Eagles taking one in the second round <laughs> when they have Carson Wentz, who's a lot more established than Josh Allen is mm-hmm. uh, and has done a lot more in his career than Josh Allen has, and they didn't back away from taking Jalen Hurts. And a lot of people are criticizing that pick, and, and that's fine, but Howie Roseman's reasoning, I didn't totally disagree with when he talked about being – quarterback developers and there being some value in that in a quarterback league they have a quarterback who gets hurt a lot and they think there's a value in developing quarterbacks when you look around the league and the the asset that that can become if Jake Fromm is better than his fifth round status suggests if he comes in for Josh Allen who runs around like crazy a lot Mm -hmm. and you know kind of puts himself at risk for injury if he comes in and makes some plays and Josh Allen still develops and still, you know, proves worthy of being the guy, all you have is an asset. Mm-hmm. And it was a fifth round pick. And there's not a lot of room for guys fifth round or later to make the roster. That's why they took a kicker in the sixth round. And the kicker pick to me was more questionable than a quarterback pick in terms of an organizational need. Uh, I don't mind them bringing in competition for Steven Hauschka because he was hot and cold last year. And I didn't, I minded the pick less when they ended up with Dane Jackson and Isaiah Hodgins, two guys. It, it didn't feel like they missed out on much by picking Tyler Bass because they got two guys that I wouldn't have batted an eye at if they picked them in Tyler Bass's slot. Right. So that worked out. But yeah, from an organizational need standpoint, absolutely on board with bringing in Jake Fromm. I say, let him go try to take Matt Barkley's job. Uh, If you're satisfied with Matt Barkley as your backup, then you're really not preaching what you're, or you're not practicing what you constantly preach. Mm -hmm. If competition is going to be the buzzword, let Jake Fromm come in and try to take Matt Barkley's job. And if competition is the buzzword and by mid season, it's, you know, and again, we're not trying to create a quarterback controversy, but if competition is the buzzword, let Jake Fromm come in and compete. I'm not saying let him come try to take Josh Allen's job, but let him come in and compete and, and give him a chance. Um, you don't want to take reps away from your starter, but let this guy come in and compete and try to take Matt Barkley's job and, and see if he's better than him. And, you know, this that's what this guy does. He, he comes in and, and he competes and I don't know. I'm interested to see him play. I think it's it it's always fun when you know a team takes a quarterback. I think it's even more fun when it's a guy as as decorated as this guy is. Left school early, 
doesn't look like the best decision right now, but the way things were going at Georgia with coordinator changes and, and all this stuff, he had, he felt like he had to get out. And the thought being, is he going to suddenly have, is he going to grow two inches next year at Georgia and have a stronger arm? Probably not, right? Mm-hmm. So why not leave early and get into the NFL, get into an NFL strength program? We've seen guys, you know, develop arm strength in the league. Uh, and so that's that's a real possibility. Certainly not going to grow, but from an intangible standpoint and a, a football intelligence standpoint, he didn't have much more to gain uh, staying at Georgia. So I'm interested to watch him play. Uh, I think uh, he's got a lot of traits that could, at the very least, make him a good backup. And a good backup quarterback is is a commodity. And I don't know that I, I don't know that Matt Barkley is a great backup quarterback. He's right. okay. He's he's perfect in the sense that he presents no threat to the young quarterback, and he gets along with the young quarterback. And he's been around, and he's he's smart. He's seen a lot of football, and so he's a good mentor type for your young quarterback while not presenting any threat well i don't think jake Fromm presents a threat either but you can probably do better than matt barkley from a performance standpoint as we saw when he got thrown onto the field last year he had that good game against the jets um, which clouded the opinion of him uh, a lot i think people thought he was probably better than he was because of that one game Uh, but yeah i think i think the bills could have could have upgraded on Matt Barkley if they wanted to, and now they have a chance to if this kid develops. It's going to be tough because of the, the way the offseason is set up. Sure, but, right. Um, he's certainly better than Davis Webb. From, that there's, I, I think that is a, a guarantee. But um, from an asset valuation standpoint, I think you're spot on. And Because if, if that player, that quarterback, turns into something, then – or, or at the very least shows traits in those spot starts for potential um, uh, for for potential areas where Josh Allen might be hurt. Let's say from wins the backup job and and then shows some some good um, good skill in in those games. Then teams are falling over themselves potentially to try and trade an asset for Jake Fromm, and that's. That's best case scenario that Josh Allen develops and, and Fromm develops and everything like that. And if it doesn't work out, then it doesn't work out. But you also have the potential for him being a long-term backup as well. And and there's a lot of, of value with that to have a, a trustworthy asset behind your starter who also puts his body on the line quite a bit like like Josh Allen does. So I didn't, I didn't mind the pick whatsoever. I think the fifth round was the perfect place to start where you don't have that, you don't have that, uh, I guess that view from a young developmental quarterback breathing down your neck that that fifth round always felt like the cutoff point to where it's like okay if you're getting a quarterback in the fifth sixth or seventh round then you're just looking for a backup but the third or fourth round that's where especially with a younger quarterback that's where it might put a little bit uh undue pressure um from a fan base perspective and uh, it's it's very strange how one round can affect that that mindset to me but I think I think it's it's actually quite real in in how teams go about um, addressing the quarterback position when they have a younger guy that they're still trying to establish so I really like the I like the from pick I like the value you know you, you saw him sticking out there and it's like about like 10 picks ahead of time you're like oh, it might just be one of those cases where 
it gets to the from point. If he's there, you do it and and you figure it out. But uh, like you said, past that, you know, getting guys like Hodgins and Jackson, that really brought this whole draft together. You know, Hodgins is someone that that I loved um, when when I watched him. I, I thought he somebody was going to get uh, a a definite ro- rosterable player in him, um, especially when you combine him with Gabriel Davis. Now you have developmental guys both at the X receiver position, which Davis would would uh, with his speed and his downfield ability. He would work behind John Brown and then at the Z position with Isaiah Hodgins, who's less of a speed guy and more of a contested catch, um, great hands. Uh, I, you know, I don't really know that uh, there was a lot of uh, receivers out there that could um, that could go at him in terms of hand uh, having dependable hands. And then, uh, and then just having those two type of developmental assets, and at the very worst, creating competition for the bottom end of your roster, like Robert Foster and Duke Williams. So I, I really enjoyed their uh, their day three picks. Um, even Tyler Bass, to a certain degree, to put competition on Stephen Hauschka and to to make him earn it at the very worst. The kicker slash punter range is one of the easiest ways to make a roster for a late round pick uh you just have to unseat the guy in in training camp in the preseason which is sometimes harder said than done but uh easier said than done i should say but when you have all of these different um uh, when when you have an organization who has clearly shown signs that they have been unsatisfied by the performance of their incumbent kicker in Steven Hauschka, then it, it makes the pick uh, into a lot more of a sensical one to me. Yeah, I think we'll we'll see what, what Tyler Bass is able to do. Unseating a guy like Steven Hauschka, who is established, is not super easy because the, the team has to feel comfortable going into a season when you really can't you know, Brandon Bean mentioned this last night. You really can't put a guy in a pressure spot in training camp, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's hard. And so you have to feel comfortable going into the season, getting rid of a guy like Hauschka, who has been, he's got a track record in those spots that Tyler Bass is going to be able to come through when you need a kick. And that's an inexact science to say the least, you know, trying to figure that out. But they're also in a spot where Steven Hauschka, their confidence wavered in him towards the end of the year, especially from 49 yards and out. And for good reason, he wasn't making a lot of those kicks. And Tyler Bass has the leg to do it. I don't know if he's got the the aim, but we'll find out. And uh, it, it was a clear sign that, especially with some of the guys that were on the board, they felt a need to get this guy, Mm -hmm. this particular kicker, not just a kicker, this particular kicker. And, you know, that tells you a little something. I know they, they say one thing about having confidence in Steven Hauschka, but, uh, if that confidence were rock solid, then you don't even think about a kicker. You don't even worry about it. And so to go out and get one and to target a specific one suggests that they think he has a chance to win that job. And I like, you know, these receivers too. Uh, I think Brandon Bean mentioned at the NFL scouting combine that the calling card of this draft at receiver was the depth. And it's clear they had the, you know, this probably the same top three that everybody else did at receiver. And those guys all went in the top 17. That's why they didn't 
that's why they felt pretty good about trading 22 for Stefan Diggs because the package that they put together to trade to the Vikings wouldn't have gotten them into the top 17 for one of those top three receivers. So he, but he mentioned that the, the calling card was the depth, right? That the, the line he used was guys drafted on day three are going to come in and take somebody's roster spot. Well, I think he was talking about, might've been talking about his own roster there because I think Gabriel Davis can give you a younger, better version of Duke Williams and Isaiah Hodgins isn't a, a one-to-one match for, for Robert Foster, uh, different players. Mm-hmm. But I think you'd rather have the guy who can catch the ball and has the... I think Isaiah Hodgins is probably already more advanced in some of the finer areas of playing receiver than Robert Foster has proven to be uh, in his first couple of years in the league. Robert Foster has hung on and been given a, a longer run to develop because of how fast he is and, and because of the Isaiah state of their Hodgins, roster at the time too and yeah they, they didn't have anybody to push him and so I think it was smart to take advantage of the depth of this class and take two guys probably more Gabriel Davis than Isaiah Hodgins uh, Isaiah Hodgins seems somewhat advanced in some some of the areas that you would try to develop a receiver in yep some of the things that he that you wish he could develop probably can't be developed like you know long speed and things like that but he can get more advanced at getting open Gabriel Davis needs more seasoning for sure uh didn't run a big route tree at at UCF and um needs to be polished up a little bit but they have the luxury of being able to do that exactly uh they needed depth at receiver uh receiver was such a problem on this roster that you can't just fix it by throwing stefan Diggs at it you know you that helps um but depth matters too uh and you know we, we talk about what happens if devin singletary goes down well what happens if stefan Diggs tweaks a hamstring and misses a couple weeks mm-hmm. then you're right back to where you were you know so yep uh, having guys developing, waiting in the wings, you can't have enough good receivers. And so uh, I like that they double dipped there and and got two guys, took advantage of what was the strength of this draft class. And, you know, and that they rounded it all out by getting a cornerback who, you know, probably has more value in their scheme than in a lot of a lot of team schemes. You know, if you play, strict man coverage you're probably not super high on dane jackson but if you do what the bills do uh and value the versatility and um my favorite line from from dane brugler in his uh scouting report on dane jackson is dane brugler is a player who quote treats passing windows with genuine disrespect Um, (laughs) probably my favorite part about reading dane brugler's draft guide is those random lines where, you know, because oh, yeah. it can be dense, it's dense, right? It's 250,000 right. words of scouting reports, which are mostly uh, football word salad and, you know, stuff that all starts to bleed together. And then you read something like that and uh, just makes you laugh a little bit. My personal, think- my personal favorite was um, on Kevin Dotson, the Louisiana guard. He wrote, uh, he moves people around like a pissed off nightclub bouncer. 
<laughs> yeah. There's a lot of those little gems in right. there that, that spice up that draft guide. There's not a lot of graphics, not a lot of pictures. You know, it's not a – it is dense reading material, but you're rewarded with little nuggets like that from Dane. So I think uh, Dane Jackson, again, another guy that has has a chance to, to at least crack the roster and, you know, if not, you know, maybe find a, a spot on the practice yeah. squad if he's not claimed. Exactly. But, but he's a good – He's a pretty good player and, um, you know, a guy that I thought would go a little bit earlier than he did after seeing him at the senior bowl. What I like most about the the receiver picks was the the differing skill sets and the fact that now they have kind of a home for all of, all of their different um, players on the roster. Like Gabriel Davis is going to probably push Robert Foster – onto the bubble and quite possibly off the roster because Davis takes over for that that long the deep threat um deep threat tracker that Robert Foster was and Robert Foster wasn't really that good at tracking the ball deep down the field and you you get a probably a better route runner than Robert Foster you get um you get someone who's a better blocker than Robert Foster so you get all of those things so you definitely upgraded there and Robert Foster's best chance to make the roster now is by being good on special teams. And I'm not sure that um, his value on special teams is going to carry him onto the 53-man roster. And then Hodgins is a better version of Duke Williams. And I know Duke Williams is someone that people really like, but in contested catch situations, I felt he was a little overrated last year. And you, you, He's inconsistent. Yeah, he's very aggressive. much so. Very much he, so. He's aggressive and willing to get after it and he's not a guy that i would want to fight for that 50 50 ball with because um he's tenacious and um doesn't back down but the focus and the hands were not a sure thing ever and so yeah he would fight for it but he wasn't always coming down with it because i think the focus and the hands uh ran really hot and cold and that's the point with hodgins because the hands are the calling card for him i mean he's He's definitely solid in other areas, like really good blocker, which is something that that Duke Williams does as well. Um, he's good at finding the the, so, the sweet spots in the zone and and enhancing those throwing windows for his quarterback. I mean, that's that's another thing that Duke Williams was was pretty proficient at. But in terms of the concentration and the lack of lapses, that's where Hodgins brings you an upgrade. And also, I would I would put into the fact that Hodgins has a pretty nifty double move that uh that i don't think duke williams has in his arsenal and that will help hodgins in separation which is something that he might uh, find himself struggling with early on in his nfl career and then to top it all off the lost guy in all of this is isaiah mckenzie but what i think it does for them is i think it puts him back into the role that they originally viewed him as and that is as a backup slot receiver to Cole Beasley you don't have to try and force him into the Z position anymore like they did last year I mean he can still play that if they need some reps there but if Stefan Diggs were to were to get injured or anything like that but when you have uh, all of that different flexibility and all of those differing skill sets that are pretty pretty focalized to the the specific positions that you have at receiver I think McKenzie fits right in as as that slot guy uh behind Cole Beasley and I think there's a spot for him on the roster with some uh kick and punt return chops if anything should happen to 
Andre Roberts, if Andre Roberts even makes the team. So I really like what they did at receiver, and you, you, you termed it perfectly. Taking advantage of a rare year at wide receiver was something they simply had to do. If they didn't, it would have been a huge misstep by this by this team. And the fact that they double-dipped with it, loved it. Because it gives you Gabriel Davis, who is a potential starter down the line. And he has at least a year, if not two years, to develop his skills. And then you have Isaiah Hodgins, who can become a very dependable depth option for you. And could even give you some some run as, uh, as a starter, if need be. Um, that's down the line, though. That's That's deep projections. I really like what they did. And I think... Brandon Bean, in totality, did a really nice job of taking advantage of value where value was there to be had, established need or, you know, really helped address needs that they had projecting into the future, not just in 2020, and then trying to pave a path for all of these guys to make the team. I think all three of those things were done. And Bean, even though he didn't have a first round pick, uh, I think I think he he really did a did a nice job with with this one. And we'll see how it all comes together, which one of these guys can play. But when you're watching these guys in college and trying to project into the NFL, I think he did a nice job there. Though I will say, I wonder, and it went through my head when um, C.D. Lamb was on the board at 17. I wonder if. The Bills still had that twenty-second overall pick. What Bean would have ha- would have given up to uh, uh, to go get C.D. Lamb at sixteen or seventeen? Because that was in the ballpark of where they could potentially get up to. And I, it just it's that's one of those one of those what ifs that I always kind of ponder here. Yeah the the thing about trading up is that you need to find somebody that's willing to do it. That's the great un you know, willing to swap with you. That's the great unknown variable of doing that uh, or banking on that going into a draft. And it sounds like the Eagles wanted to get up and, and couldn't, you know, you know, find the right trading partner. And so I think it would have been tricky. But yeah, this receiver class was probably a little under underrated at the top because of how much everybody talked about the depth and CD lamb ending up in Dallas was, was a little bit, a little bit of a surprise that, that he lasted that long. Oh my God. He's, he's wide receiver uh, one for me. Uh, He's, he's so much fun. Yeah. He, he's, he's different uh, than those other guys. And uh, I think, you know, It'll be you probably still feel pretty good if you're the Bills that you got Stephon Diggs and that you got you know kind of the sure thing and you know I'm sure it was hard to watch on Thursday night especially as a guy like Lamb uh, fell you know Judy and Lamb probably fell farther than than maybe some people expected but that might have been a little bit hard to watch and it probably would have been harder to watch uh, for Bean if one of them was sitting there at 22 oh, yeah. but I don't think. <laughs> I don't think that was ever necessary. I don't think that was ever in the cards because uh, of the teams clustered in the late teens that needed receiver, particularly the Eagles being in front of the Bills made it tough. And Jalen Rager, kind of a, a an interesting one as well. Um, I, I'm interested to see a lot of these these rookie receivers hit the field, and um, we you know we won't get to watch the. 
um, the flashy high end rookies, but we get a couple of a uh, couple of decent uh, developmental guys. And fun fact about Isaiah Hodgins' double move: he said he learned it from watching Stefan Diggs highlights. So now he can uh, now he can get an up close look at at that, and you know hopefully that'll help in his development. It doesn't hurt to have guys like John Brown, Cole Beasley, and Stephon Diggs in the receiver room to bring these guys along. Yep. Totally agree. Okay. I think we've sufficiently covered this draft class and uh, and all of the different little nooks and crannies, for, at least from from draft weekend. But uh, we got to leave some meat on the bone here. We, we need some things to talk about as uh, as we get closer and or as uh, the May and, and June months start to approach here. Um, but... We also have something to look forward to, which is the Come On Darlene bracket, which I personally can't wait to to get it going. And uh, that's that's something that we've been saving, and now we have uh, have the chance to do it. So I'm um, I'm looking forward to that, and and also looking at this roster and and how everything kind of plays out as well. All right, Matthew Fairburn, any uh, any fond farewells for the for the folks out there? I feel like after after an hour plus, there's no need for a, a sign-off. The words have all been spoken. Mm. The hay is in the barn, so to speak. I believe that you just did a sign-off. <laughs> I think I did, accidentally, <laughs> unintentional. All right, so that'll do it for uh, Mr. Fairburn and myself. Uh, thank you for listening to this extended edition of the Buffalo Beat. We appreciate all that you do. And, uh, and by the way, if you have yet to subscribe over at The Athletic, you can find all of our draft grades, all of our, uh, all of our post-draft uh, material that we'll be posting throughout the week coming up. And if you sign up right now at theathletic.com slash thebuffalobeat, you can get a 90-day free trial. That's for new subscribers. So be sure to take us up on that. All right. So thanks, everyone, for listening. And we will speak with you uh, in... Not not this not to, at the end of the week coming up, but uh, but next week we'll we'll get back on our regular routine of Thursday Friday shows. All right, everybody, talk to you then. In the meantime, <laughs> Joe has to go watch some Jake Fromm and wonder Uh-oh. if this guy can become the next Blaine Gabbert. Oh. Talk to you next time. <laughs> I hate you. No, just kidding. See you guys. <laughs>